Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. The playoffs are starting. Uh, you might not know that in Chicago, but they are. And so with me to talk about uh, the end of the season and the beginning of the postseason is Bally Senior MLB writer David Brown. David, how are you? Well, Andy, I uh, I should have mentioned, I thought maybe we had talked about it already. I'm now former senior oh. Bally uh, MLB writer. They... Uh, there's a whole kind of, there's a whole great story that I can't really talk about, but they basically eliminated the editorial department in in late August, and then in late September uh, mm. they eliminated me. So uh, I'm a free agent. So if anybody out there listening happens to be running a like a baseball journalism website, yeah. I'm open for business. Well, that's too bad. I hate, hate to hear that. Um, I'm sure some a man of your immense talent will be will be scooped up by someone. Oh yeah, well it's uh, it, it's inevitable, isn't it? Yeah, that's the ridiculous, terrible irony of this business is that your people want to consume what you have, and yet you are at the mercy of finding someone who will give you the platform. But enough about this. Uh... Depressing, yeah. Subtopic. Let's talk. Cubs let's talk baseball. about the. Let's lighten the mood. Let's talk about the Cubs. On September sixth, the Cubs swept the Giants. They were up one and a half games behind the Brewers in the NL Central, and they were one and a half games behind the Phillies for the number one um, wild card spot. That was about the time that Jim Deshays made his bold proclamation that. He thought by the time the Cubs went to Milwaukee, they'd be ahead of the Brewers. The Cubs then commenced to go 7-15, and 15, and by the time they got to Milwaukee, they were all but eliminated from the playoffs. 7-15, and 15, it didn't seem that good at the it time. Didn't. It no. seemed worse. I think it's because there were so many of the 15 losses were like by a run or two. Yeah. They were good at like they beat the Pirates fourteen to one. Then they lost. They played the Pirates two more times and lost both. Skewing that run differential. Yep. Uh, they swept the Rockies, and then they won one more time after that. So uh, it's not like we haven't seen it before. Uh, Cub fans have lived through. Actually, I I feel like this is a good. Uh, learning experience for Cub fans who may have hopped on, oh, say in 2015. <laughs> right. Because this is more of the reality than 2015, 16, and 17 were. Like, oh, we go to the playoffs every year, and, you know, we at least we at least win a round. Sometimes we win the World Series. This is great. No, this is what it's like. The, getting to the last two weeks and just knowing that there's another shoe that's about to drop. Right. And Saya is probably going to be the one who drops it. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, I feel really bad for him because he literally, I just looked at the numbers, the last two months of the season, he was their best hitter. He had a better yeah. last two months even than Cody Bellinger, who had a good last two months. And there will be income poops out there who all they remember about Saya this year is that he dropped that fly ball. I didn't have the heart to... Look, did he say that it was the lights? Well, it kind of got lost in translation. 
literally. <laughs> um, basically, what we got out of it was, I, I took it that way because he thought he caught it. Like, he was right under the ball. You know, I'm, outfielder, baseball players in general, they things happen to distract them all the time, but you just know when you're about to catch a ball. Yeah. And he was under it, and he saw it long enough that he was sure he caught it. And he didn't. And it sort of sounds like, as it was coming down, he lost it, but felt like he had tracked it well enough that he was going to catch it anyway. Hmm. And he didn't. And that immediately draws all the Brant Brown comparisons and all that stuff. There's obviously lots of differences. Watching the game in real time, I thought Sayo was going to catch it. I thought they were going to go to the ninth inning upper run, and they were going to lose the game in the bottom of the ninth because Julian May- or Mayweather... Is that his name? I can't remember. I've lost, forgot all their names. Meriwether? Meriwether. Meriwether Lewis. And Frank Clark. Got um, lost by the way. I, the way, they, they weren't, I just, I can't imagine they were actually going to close that game out. The other thing was the Brant Brown one was literally, you catch it, they win, he drops it, they lose. You know, it's literally right. the last play of the game. And this, the Cubs... Say actually batted in the ninth. Had a chance to atone for his own. And then the other thing that, that's not a parallel is that in the next game, Saya did not get attacked by a bird. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, but after the horrific loss in Milwaukee, the Cubs got on a plane and they flew to Houston in the Astrodome. And in the first inning of the game, Jim Riggleman had put Brant right back out there in left field. There was some big black bird that was literally attacking him in the outfield. I don't remember that. Yes. I'll never forget it because it's like, holy shit. Is this a bad sign? <laughs> right. Is this good luck that there's an enormous crow that is pecking at our left fielder? In a, inside of, was that a dome stadium at that point? Was that the Astrodome? It was the Astrodome, yeah. It was the Astrodome. Yeah. Right. So how did it get in? I, did it buy a ticket? <sighs> but yeah, the, a lot. there's a lot of blame to go around. Um, one pocket blamed the fact that uh, David Ross basically kind of Leo DeRochered most of his lineup. Everybody played every day, and by the end of the season, they'd started to run out of gas. Um, there's no argument that they, he didn't wear the bullpen out. I mean, literally, they were hurt, even. He, it was a combination of yeah. guys who had been pitched too much and guys who had been pitched so much that they were on the injured list. Um, and then I know fans don't really want to hear. It's also it wasn't that good of a team. I mean, yeah, it was a team that really needed the season to end while they were still in the playoffs. One of those, like God, if you know, we got to run the clock out and maybe we can make the playoffs. No better evidence of this than the Marlins are in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, give them give our buddy Skip Schumacher credit, but it's. Uh, you know they're hurt and they're not very good, right. and here they are. You know, it's that's what the Cubs were playing for. It's not any great prize. One one fortunate bit of happenstance. Does happenstance have to be positive? I think it does. Um, for the Marlins was that they literally got the Braves for a three-game series the day after the Braves clinched the East. Right. And the only three games in the stretch run that the Braves basically said, eh, fuck it, were the three against the Marlins. 
because then they were like, all right, there's a we get a week off between the playoffs and the regular regular season and playoffs. Last year we took too much time off, and they just Snicker just played everybody. The, right. the break the Cubs caught was that their three best pitchers were Strider just wasn't in line to pitch, and then Freed and um, Morton are on the injured list. They didn't get any of that, yeah. but they still had to pitch to all of the, you know, the 27 Yankees that the Braves have now, and we right. couldn't get them out. I did think it was a nice moment in the in the game in the next night after the say a uh, thing. Cubs are clinging to a lead. Maybe it was even tied by then. I think they had just tied it. The Braves had just tied it, and uh, Ronald Acuna stole his 70th base in like the ninth inning of the game. You know, he's like the go-ahead, the winning run, and he stops and he pulls the base out of the ground and he holds it above his head and then they play a video montage of all of all 70 of his stolen bases I think and then the players run out and they hug him and I think they had a champagne shower it was like they were there for like an hour and a half while the Cubs just stood on the field and Jim Deshaies got madder and madder and madder and then finally they the game started and the Cubs lost in 10 Well, one thing I noticed about that situation, at least at first, was Ozzy Albies was ready to hit because it was a tie game yeah. and there was a winning run or go-ahead run and second base, and he had a kind of an exasperated look on his face. So it isn't, um, you know, sour grapes or whatever that some people wanted to say about the Cubs complaining or the yeah. broadcast. Anyway. I actually thought that what I was hoping at home was that it was going to give the Cubs manager enough time to realize he should probably walk Ozzy Albies. <laughs> and so, it's just on the off, because there's only one out. And it's like, I, I got news for you. Mark Leiter Jr., whoever the hell was still in there. Right. Maybe it's Julian Merriwell. I know I forget. They all blur together. He's not going to get two, he's not going to get two guys out without allowing this run in. You yeah. might get lucky. And one of them hits a really hard ground ball at Dansby or Nico. So you should probably set that double play up. And of course he didn't do it. Because why, you know, it, the Braves, you know, yeah, they could beat you by three, I guess, if they hit a home run. But otherwise, I don't right. think Ozzy's run means a whole hell of a lot. Right. But we got a lot of that down the stretch. A lot of pitchers being pulled well, it, too late when it was obvious yeah. that it was too late. Pitchers being left in when you're like, oh, this this isn't going to work. And then it didn't. And a lot of bunting, a lot of weird bunting all of a sudden. It's always a good thing when you have a lead against the Braves to just – play for one run then afterwards right. like you're just gonna, you're gonna shut them down for the rest of the game so just you know let's let's bunt a guy over it's like you're gonna have to put crooked numbers up or you're gonna blow this lead um, it's also bad when people are like that say a game was a game where they had originally had a six nothing lead and they blew it um and people are like i oh, remember that six run lead the cubs blew and you're like oh, which one as there end up being three of them in this season, there were two down the stretch, and there was one or one on the third of July against Milwaukee, where um, with the bases loaded, clinging to what was left of their six-run lead, uh, David Ross went out and summoned Anthony Kay from the bullpen to get the biggest yeah. out of the season to that point. Shockingly, he allowed a run, bases clearing triple instead. And then Cub fans will let you know that so that game, the weird game that is never going to be, it got finished in absentia. Yeah. 
between the Marlins and the Mets, where the Mets had the Mets had a one to nothing lead, I think, going into the ninth, and um, Buck didn't have much bullpen left because of the doubleheader the day before and some other stuff. And when they finally um, first batter got on, and then a couple of lefties were coming up, and who came out of the bullpen to save the day for the Mets and the Cubs? But Anthony K. <laughs> And he didn't. He gave up three runs. That was an interesting thing. So they, in the rule book, because it was the, in the in the good old days, this used to happen. This was like a regular thing where rain would come in in the last inning or the, you know, after it was, after it had been an official game and the visiting team would like take the lead and then the rain would come right. and he couldn't resume it. And then the visiting team would lose because the home team hadn't had their chance to bat. So it would revert back to the inning right. before. And they basically had, had gotten rid of that with the one exception because they just make it a suspended game and you just pick it up either the next day or the next time you pl- face each other. Well, if it's the last time two teams meet in the season and there's no shared off day, then it goes back to that. So that's what yeah. happened. And by the letter of the law, the Marlins should have just lost. But baseball's like, well, there's that Monday. So right. you guys can just fly back and play an inning on a third. To, or, yeah, get, get you four outs to finish this game. Um, but then they didn't need it. So instead of the Marlins having to go back to finish it out as a win, the Mets just get the win. It's all very complicated. This is why Marvin Barnes never wanted to get on a time right. machine. So what I wanted to ask you was, um, I want to talk tiebreaker with you here before we get to the playoffs, because this was a huge issue um, on the marquee broadcast the last week of the season. It was a huge issue because here are the Cubs with this fabulous um, run differential, third best <laughs> in the National League, like sixth best in all of baseball. Yeah. It ended up being 105 runs they outscored their opponents by. But they didn't own the tiebreaker if they tied with the Brewers, the Diamondbacks, the Braves, the Reds, the Marlins, or the Phillies. Because they had lost the season series to all of them. Right. And, um, in fact, I have handy looking at right here they were 25 and 40 against those teams that's not that's not good but they had this big run differential so boog and jd were like you know i think it would be a lot more fair if the tiebreaker was the run differential talk about just cherry pretend like you didn't play these teams yeah Yeah. so i looked at it and uh, if you went by so say you went run differential against the teams Mm -hmm. because that's really what you would do you wouldn't go with the total but what Boog was ag- was uh, advocating for was it's just the total run differential. So you get to the end of the season, these teams are tied. Who scored more runs than their opponents over the course of the season? Because in the Premier League and soccer, the first tiebreaker is goal differential. Mm-hmm. The reason that it's that way in um, in the English Premier League is there are ties. So right. it is to disincentivize a team from trying to just hold on to their place on the table by playing scoreless draws at the end of a year. Basically just kick the ball around for 90 minutes, entertaining no one to 
try right. to just keep your record intact. So basically what they wanted was incentivize scoring. Because if you end up tied, you better have more goals scored than than the other teams. Or you have better bigger goal differential. Last I checked, baseball doesn't have that issue. They probably should have ties, but they don't. No. Well, that's what the man for man is for. That alleviated yeah, all that. That's great. Um, so if you went by that, the Cubs with their uh, run differential. Here's why Boo, I think, maybe maybe would advocate for the season. They would have gotten the um, tiebreaker against the Marlins because over the course of the six games, they outscored them by a run. <laughs> uh, they wouldn't yeah. have got it against the Phillies. They would have got it against the Reds. And they would not have they they would not have gotten it against the Diamondbacks. They were minus ten. So anyway, the question I want to ask you though is, I don't like I don't like the non-competitive. I mean, I know it's competitive, right? It's like, it's the, it's supposedly it's valuing the season, right? But the thing that baseball has been chasing for a long time now is the they love the game one sixty threes. They love the right. inherent drama of one game winner takes all, get in the playoffs or don't. And they created this ridiculous wild card round, the best two out of three with all three games played in one town to cut down, to, to speed it up so the TV wouldn't get mad at them for cutting into football time. Right. Trying to, like, fake it. But I think they should, I think they should still play off tiebreaker games uh, or tiebreaks because there really wouldn't be that many, right? Like, so if two teams tie for the central, but but the one of them will be the division winner the other will be a wild card you don't play that off right right because you're not playing for a playoff spot you're playing for seeding so you're not going to do that then you go to one of your little tiebreakers the thing i think they're afraid of is what if like four teams tie for the last wild card spot and it gets right. super common now you can't drag that out so how about this first why don't you use your fancy little tiebreakers to whittle it down to two teams and they play and see somebody you're still playing to get in and then you get your magical extra game that everybody loves to watch. Unless that's a great idea. I didn't. I wasn't expecting you to say that. I think that's that's a marvelous idea. It's so. the best of both worlds. I think so too. So the math geeks can figure out the tiebreakers, but the people who actually like to see it settled on the field can see it settled on the field. The tiebreakers give us a game 163. It's really good. I mean, one thing. There's a couple. You know, with the added rounds or teams and playoffs they probably think well it's harder to you know we need to eliminate those tiebreaker games because we have extra playoff games built in to the system and we're going into november already so they they've kind of major league baseball has sort of uh talked themselves out of something like that before it even begins but to do it your way adding one game rather than worrying about adding them yeah. Two games or you three would, games. You'd settle it all on the Monday. Right. You wouldn't have to worry, but you could still start on Tuesday. Right. And it might even, it might make for some onerous travel for somebody, but that's just part of it. You yeah. should have won, you should have won your spot. You had to play in for right. it, and now you you have to waste maybe your best pitcher, and now you got to hump it from New York to L.A. and play a game the next day. Well, tough. That's just part of it. That's really great. And I think, um, I bet it's something that they'll do. I bet I bet we'll see that someday. I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, well, I'll send it over to Rob. I'll fax it over. Yeah. On the same paper that I drew up, the Manfred Man for him. <laughs> Actually, I don't want to take credit for the, the rule. I want to take credit for the name. 
Because I still don't like the rule. No. I think it's stupid. Right. But I, I this like is the clever This is a positive thing. Yeah, that would totally be great. Okay, good. So, score one for me. One, one good idea. No, I would say score two. It's, it's that good. Score two for you. All right, two. I like it. I'll take the extra one. Um, here's another thing I unearthed while I was looking at Cub Run Differential. <laughs> so they 105. They, they outscored their opponents by 105 runs. If you take out the number of runs that they they're basically, I need to explain it this way. Their run differential against the Oakland A's, who they only played three times, was plus 23. Right. Their run differential against the Pittsburgh Pirates, who they, the only reason they finished above 500 is they just kicked the Pirates' ass over and over and over again, was plus 52. Mm-hmm. Their run differential against the dead-ass last St. Louis Cardinals was plus 20. If you take those three out, the Cubs run differential against the, everybody else in Major League Baseball, minus nine. Right. <laughs> so they had a losing record against every team that finished ahead of them in the National League and one team that finished behind them, the Padres. And they got outscored by everybody except the A's, the Pirates, and the Cardinals. So You know, when you put it that way, it seems pretty fair that they didn't get in. Yeah, it actually does. Which is why David Rush should have got manager of the year he probably should still get manager of the year votes for the wonderful job he did. Actually, let's not do that. Although Tom Ricketts I did will... say yesterday he did a great job. Corey. Um, yeah, the, uh, the, the one thing, if, if there's one hair of, um, you know, unfairness about the whole thing, it's, it's how MLB, you've got to play everybody. So you don't play, you don't necessarily play these teams a lot. Yeah. You know, in past years, maybe the Cubs, if they had played twice as many games against all these teams that they lost, maybe they would have had a better record. Maybe they would have had some tiebreakers. That's the only thing. You know, you're not playing 12 games, 15 games against these teams. So, you know, it's it's a little less fair at, at that point. You know, you, you lose a couple, two out of three series, and you're, you've lost your tiebreaker. So, you know, from that standpoint... I guess I, I have a little bit of sympathy, but not a whole lot. Well, honestly, given how bad the Central was this year, the Cubs and the Reds both, I'm sure, really missed the extra games yeah. against the this year. That you would have wanted more games against the Cardinals and more game against the Pirates. Instead, you were playing the other two divisions more, which had better teams in it than yours did. So they right. they actually got penalized by the um, the more balanced schedule. But that's enough of that. So there are 12 teams who actually did make the playoffs. And eight of them are going to play tomorrow. So in the American League, we have the Rays and the Rangers, the Twins and the Blue Jays, and then the, those are the two early games. And then the, the the evening ones are Brewers and Diamondbacks, Phillies and Marlins. Uh, we, have to, we can talk about each of them, but is there, just at first blush, are any of those uh, higher seeds on upset alert? Oh, absolutely, especially in a short series. Um, you know, I I have a I have a good feeling about the Twins getting through, even though they you know they won't have Byron Buxton and they're missing some guys. Uh, Toronto, though, they're starting pitching. 
they have one of the best groups of starting pitchers. So if they can continue that, they're going to be in all their games. I don't, I don't think their bullpen is particularly deep, but that alone, you know, the, the Twins have such a horrible postseason history. I know that's not necessarily you know the fault of the guys on this team. Uh, the Twins should definitely be on upset alert. Um, you know, the, the Rays. Um, there's been just so much attrition. It's amazing how, you know, you'd think in past years when you look at, you know, players that the the Twins had lost and the Rangers and the Rays, you know, you'd think that that would have ruined their seasons. But they, they managed to make it to the playoffs anyway. But, um, you know, I, I think the only – I think more so in the American League, we could have higher seeds win. You know, I don't think – Arizona is going to beat the Brewers, but they did have they did win the regular season series against them. I can't. I mean, the Phillies, um, you know, as imperfect as they are, should win easily against the Marlins. But the, like you know, the, the you know the Marlins don't have Sandy Alcantara and they don't have Yuri Perez, uh, but they uh, they're here anyway. So I, I think there's a a, a decent the, probably the best chance of any. High seed winning is the Blue Jays against the Twins. But I, I think all the, the lower seed, the, the better seeds, I should say, um, are going to win in the in the first round. I would like to see the Twins win at least a game. Haven't they lost 18 yeah. in a row in the playoffs? Yeah. Yeah. I, I see them coming through. I think they're, you know, they, when they, um, I mean, this doesn't seem to matter anymore. But earlier in the season, they uh, they won the season series against the Yankees. It was really early mm-hmm. in the season, and I just thought it was an indication that they were mindful of you know the history of the organization. And so I think these are guys that are going to be ready to have their best games, uh, you know, for, for whatever that's worth. And they're not going to be overlooking anything or be happy to be there. I think the Twins. It's a dangerous opponent with the Blue Jays, but. Uh, I think that the Twins will get through and uh, and win for the first time in forever in the postseason. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, the Rangers had an odd finish to the season where it looked like they were going to blow it. Right. And then they, they kind of did a uh, um, 2005 uh, White Sox where ah, – yes. You know, you're comfortably ahead most of the season. Everybody's printing playoff tickets, and then, holy shit, are we going to blow this? And then they get hot at the end of the season, and you roll into the playoffs. Uh, and then they're playing a, a really good Rays team that uh, doesn't have a middle infield. So, right. you can see them getting through. I do, well, I feel like, actually, I don't know that I think the Diamondbacks can beat the Brewers. I think if I was the Brewers, I would have been really disappointed at yesterday's results because I would have wanted the Marlins. Not the diamond. Yes, and um, I think there's a big difference too. Yes, so it turned out with the Astros beating the Diamondbacks, it actually put the Diamondbacks. If I were the Diamondbacks, I would rather face the Brewers than the Phillies. So they probably were cool with getting beat six to nothing or whatever it was. Yeah, um, I think it was when it was one of those athletic podcasts. I think it was one with Eno, Saras, where they were talking about if you. If you scrunch the, if you take the rosters and then scrunch them down 
playoff-wise, where you kind of eliminate the back of the bullpen and you don't really worry so much about the bench, then you rank them. The Phillies take a pretty big jump. Yeah. Like, they're a, they're a team far better suited, and we saw it last year, they're far better suited yeah. to the playoffs than they are to 162 games. The biggest issue they have is that if you hit a fly ball to right or left field, you can just <laughs> keep running. Thanks to former Cubs Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber, who both have to play there. It was funny, Eno said, well, maybe they could just DH one of those two. It's like, well, you got Bryce Harper. And yeah. pretty sure um, he probably needs to be in the lineup every day because he might be the best clutch player in like 20 years. So, But I remember back in the heady days when it looked like the Cubs were going to get in, I was trying to figure out if there was a way that they could get through the playoffs while avoiding the Phillies and the Braves, who I thought were the two biggest threats in the National League. Yeah. And you couldn't. Um. I don't remember why you couldn't, but I remember just based on seeding. Um, basically, you were going to get one or the other at least, and maybe both, which would be bad. If uh, you know, if you're asking, like, you know, overall, at least in the first couple rounds, who's a dangerous, you know, um, kind of a higher, uh, worse seed? You know, Philly, Philly for sure, and I think you know you look at their matchup against um, the Marlins. The Phillies overall, even though they're, you know, two of their better hitters are Schwarber and, and Harper, uh, they were better overall, top, you know, one through nine against left-handed pitching. And those guys aren't even, you know, that uh, Schwarber's not not very good against lefties, but he's, he's okay. He's not inert. And Harper's actually about the same. So, um, and they're going to have – they're going to face two left-hand starters for the Marlins. I was kind of looking for any reason to pick the Marlins yeah. without Perez and, and Alcantara, but um, you know, and uh, Jesus Lazardo and, and Braxton Garrett are are decent left-handed pitchers, but the Phillies even kind of have an advantage there. So I, you know, with the with the Braves with their pitching staff, the the top of the pitching staff kind of um, with with uh, Freed and. Um, Charlie Morton, questionable. Um, they're, I know they looked invincible, but I think they're vulnerable again. So I don't know if the, if the Phillies are going to run through the first two rounds, but I think that that's there's a good chance we're going to see them again in the uh, in the NLCS. Yeah, I mean, if they are, the, it sounds yeah, like but, Freed will be back for the DS. Morton wouldn't be back until the LCS. Okay. Which means you're probably going to have Bryce Elder making a NLDS start, which I don't think the Braves want to do, but they're just going to have to do it. Well, yeah, I don't think they do either. Um, you know, I mean, it's not was... quite as bad as the as the uh, 98 Cubs having to start Mark Clark in the first game of their playoff series against the Braves. Right. But, that, you know, that's why they were – trying to get other people ready for that spot all season uh you know play injured injured guys who didn't end up making it uh because they don't really trust elder so maybe elder will surprise us again and maybe the braves can even if he doesn't do well they can play around it so like hard said, they they try, though. i mean i'm sure at the deadline they could have they probably could have called the cubs and got jamison tyan 
Right. Right. <laughs> but they had even even people in their organization. I think they were hoping that like Kyle Wright right. or somebody like right. that would be ready to take over. So but Yeah, it's a to. it's a weird year in the National League in that there were two two teams were clearly better than everybody else, the Dodgers and the Braves, and both have very uncertain pitching heading into the playoffs. Right. No, I mean the Dodgers' starting pitching is—it's a mess. Urias not available. Very shaky after the first two starters. So, you Uh, know, I would not—I—I would not put a lot of money on the Dodgers to get past their first playoff series, be it the 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 Brewers or the Diamondbacks. Well, and I think especially if. Um, well, actually, if the Diamondbacks beat the Brewers, oh, wait, they don't, do they? They don't reseed, do they, from one round to the next? No, they don't reseed. No, they should. Because if they did, and the Diamondbacks got past the Brewers, then the Phillies, actually, either team, the Phillies or the Marlins, would, would have gone to L.A. Yeah. Although, I guess if you're thinking, if your whole goal is to win the World Series, I don't know why I keep thinking about the Phillies. Maybe it's because they have so many equal Cubs on it. Um... You probably want to play the Braves in the DS because you only want to have to beat them three times. You don't want to have to beat them four times. Right. The better the team, the fewer the times you want to have to beat them to upset them. Right. Which is inherently what makes the wild card round a coin flip for anybody. You lose that first game, and then anybody can win. Anybody can beat you one out of two, and you're right. screwed. I mean... I remember the last the last time the Cubs ventured into the playoffs as as pretend playoffs as they were in the COVID year. They played a Marlins team that wasn't any damn good and had, but had two good starting pitchers. The Cubs couldn't hit either one of them and they immediately went home. So stuff happens. Um So then if we look at the better oh we already talked about the Braves and Dodgers a little bit. But over in the uh, American League, you have the defending world champion Astros, who a couple of days ago looked like they were uncertain to make the playoffs and ended up with the second seed in a week off. Yeah, with uh, yeah, with two two games to go, they were, you know, they could have, uh, what you know, they could have missed the playoffs yeah. if the Mariners could have jumped over them. So, well, they got you swept know, by they got swept by your Kansas City Royals. And like the second or third to last series of the season, the Royals were better than mediocre down the stretch. It was kind of uh, surprising to see them actually execute to that point. Usually, you're, you're with the Royals. You were looking for um, you know, moral victories and other things like that, but they were uh, pain in the butt. Yeah. Well, it helped when uh, when Nelson Velasquez hits a homer every day. Yeah. Another guy the Cubs just couldn't find a spot for. He's got too many bats. Can't play this guy. There, he, we'll take Jose Quas. That'll be that'll be that'll be an even deal. Quas was in session. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, I don't know how long term of a, a fit uh, Nelson's going to be if no. he's going to be that hot or whatever. But the Cubs probably could have used some of that. Yes. Well, he. We knew from earlier in the year that David Ross wouldn't play him, so it didn't matter. Nelson right. got off to a really hot start with the Cubs. Actually, he, he had, I 
I don't know where he ended up, but at one point, he had a 632 slugging for the Royals, which is really high. And if you looked at his Cub numbers, he had a 631 slugging for the Cubs. Hmm. So it's not like he hadn't produced when he played, but he still spent right. a lot of time chained to the bench. So um, that's all right. We got Jose Quas, and um, he actually was useful, and he was so useful that uh, he pitched basically every day. This poor arm, I'm sure. <laughs> Until he had no use. And um, he only walked 14 guys in 28 appearances. Is that? I guess for him, that's pretty good. Well, you know, we've talked about before the uh, the setup where uh, we don't have any tiebreaker games, so they've taken some excitement out of it from that standpoint. You know, another thing, if you if you look up and down these rosters, you know, we complain about the Cubs and the decisions that either Ross made or Jed made to not add more relief pitching help, and you know, the Cubs didn't really have anybody left down the stretch. You know, they're not the only team that was no. like that. I, I, most teams refused to add very much you know there, there were a couple of big moves there were a couple of smaller moves but it just you can tell that these teams were not all that excited to sacrifice anything for one of these playoff spots so no. you know exciting as uh you know the news is for baseball about the attendance being up and the games being shorter and people being happy with that um you know how the, the playoffs were set up i mean I don't know. There, I didn't feel a lot of um, excitement about how the season was going to end. I was just kind of bracing for it to end. You know, there, there wasn't like, you know, wasn't a whole lot of great stories to, to get teams to the playoffs. And, you know, there's there's no tiebreakers to look forward to. And there, there was no um, impetus on the, the part of the teams to – uh, make the pennant race any more exciting with with trades? It was, uh, I mean, there there were a lot of trades, but it felt like there could have been twice as many trades. You know, the Cubs certainly could have helped themselves and maybe would have made the playoffs. Um, you know, had they added a couple more relief pitchers, but is that? It just doesn't look like that's something they're interested in doing. So, you know, I don't know what kind of product we have here. In the in the long term, I think there's still lots of stuff they need to do to to make it more interesting. Yeah, it's a it's product is a good word. It's a product of when you when you increase the number of playoff teams, then you make you lower the bar to get into the playoffs, which basically tells teams, oh, we don't have to build a 90 win team to make the playoffs. We can build. I mean, the Cubs won 83 games and they almost made it. And they're probably looking at it like, okay, we need to build an 85-win team to get in next year. And then at the trade deadline, you're like trying to figure out how do we get to 85 wins. And so you're going to end up with that. And you're not going to want them to part with one of your precious prospects. You're like, well, you know, we we don't need you know we don't need that much to get in. So we're just this is what we'll just settle for this and we'll see what happens. It was and a big reason why the players didn't want to expand the postseason was that very reason thinking that when when free agency comes around teams are like well yeah he'd be nice to have but we don't really need him to make the playoffs or we don't need right. you know and so instead of four teams bidding on a guy you got one or two which keeps the his potential salary down because they're like we'll be good enough to be in the you know the cubs it was very telling to have have tom talking to reporters yesterday he talked about oh you know we don't play for uh consolation prize or whatever so we 
we're not happy that we didn't make the playoffs. But you know they were perfectly content with the fact that they were just in it at the end. Right. Yeah. And, um, I mean, even to the point where, like, the... <sighs> I was just thinking of the Marlins. The Marlins tried to add a lot. Like, they made a lot of moves. A lot of them were little fringy moves. Like, they got Josh Bell, who ended up being really good for them. But they ended up with an extra pitcher that people... I honestly forgot they had him until the other day when all of a sudden Matt Moore comes out of their bullpen. He didn't yeah. get traded well, he at the saw... deadline. He got re- he he was one of the guys yeah, that threw him waivers. on waivers. The Guardians got him. The Guardians fell out, and then they waived him. And the Marlins right. got him. He got waived. He's a really good lefty reliever who two teams were like, "Hey, you want to go pitch for a playoff team? Because it ain't gonna be us." And they, you know, the Guardians didn't. Well, I guess the Guardians saved a little money. Like, hey, we can save a week of his salary. We'll just let, we'll just let him go. Ah, the Dolans. But I think honestly, I think they did it more like here. We're not we're not making it. See if you get claimed by right. a team. Well, that's they, going they, to the put Lewis, they put Lucas Giolito back on waivers too. They were yeah, just nobody wanted ready to lose him. But yeah, the Cubs who had a glaring weakness in their bullpen. I mean, Jad even said it. He's like, no, there were guys available. We didn't want to pay. We didn't want to pay what people were selling. And it could very well be that it ended up being the right decision because it might not have been anybody that was worth a damn that was out there. But also, you're like, well... That's true. That's true from from an analytical standpoint. It's true. But it's also not very competitive of you. You know, it's not... You're you're not... You should still try. There should be enough incentive to... uh, to try and you look at how the Yankees spend a certain amount, but they don't go that high. The Red Sox certainly are like that. You know, they're not necessarily trying to win the world series. No. And you know, the Cubs aren't necessarily really trying to make the playoffs. They just sort of hope they do. And that's, um, it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. If you're, you know, maybe cat for casual fans, it doesn't matter, but for somebody who pays too much attention to baseball, it's just kind of an ugly time right now. Yeah. I mean, there's this all- there's this idea, I think, mostly pushed by front offices and owners, and some fans just decide it's true, that the whole thing is just to get in the playoffs, because then anything can happen. It, the best team doesn't always win the World Series. Well, that's true, the best team doesn't always, but you know what? They win most of the time. Right. So if your goal is really to win one, it shouldn't be to try to get the last be the last seed for five years in a row and hopefully you get one. it should be if you're one of the top two seeds for three or four years in a row you might very well win the world series because the reason they win is because they have the best team and yeah upsets happen but upsets don't happen all the time right um and even uh we haven't talked about the orioles we talked a little I was bit gonna about say, the, this is the one team we haven't mentioned yet as the are the orioles the, the Orioles were in a, I think, in a better spot before Felix Batista got hurt. Felix, did I say Felix Batista? No. Who am I, is that who it was? Or was that the Cubs pitcher? Well, that was Jose Batista. <laughs> um, yeah, their closer who throws 105 miles an hour. And, you know, they, they were, if they still had him, I, I have to think that not having him maybe the best pitcher for an inning in the league, you know, an inning at a time, not having that available in the playoffs eventually is going to 
catch up to them. But you know, other than that, they are still you know they probably had the least amount of attrition outside of that. But even that, the Orioles were in a position to trade one of their many many mm-hmm. prospects. I mean, they had a ridiculous amount of prospects, and they should have traded for somebody better than uh, Jack Flaherty for the starting rotation. And they could have traded for more depth in the bullpen. And they would be in a – if they had, they would be in an amazing position yes, to possibly win the whole thing. Uh, and now, I mean, they, they really have risked um, – you know, they're, they're, the Astros could get them. The Twins could get them. Maybe the Rays or the Rangers could get them. They're, they they – just all in the name of not giving up anything for the future. And, um, you know, it's, it's another way. It's a different, it's different than the Cubs not adding for a relief pitcher. And it's a little different than no, it's, the Yankees are spending enough, but it's, uh, you know, they, they put themselves in a kind of a precarious situation. I mean, it's been a great story. They deserve this yeah. and all that, but. No, um, I, I would argue that it's worse for them, for the Orioles to do what they did. Cause yeah. if, if you're the Cubs or the Yankees yeah. this year, although, I guess we're arguing about different things. The Yankees, it's like, okay, why are you content with – you spend a lot of money, but you don't spend – actually, they waste a lot of money. <laughs> they, they keep they – they, they waste a lot of money. But they, they have been posing an artificial limit on themselves where they didn't used to have it. It used to be, okay, fine, that contract didn't work out. Screw it. I don't care. We'll get a replacement for this guy. Now it's like, well, we've got to wait until this contract comes off our books and we can't do this. But I the at the deadline, you, I can forget. I don't want it, but I can forgive the Cubs more than I could the Orioles for what they did at the deadline. Yeah. The Cubs were a team that, with like three days to go before the deadline, weren't sure if they were going to buy or sell. The Orioles are sitting there with one of the best teams in baseball, where an incremental improvement could be the difference between winning the World Series and not winning it. Where the Cubs' incremental improvement might be um, what ended up happening: barely missing the last wild card spot or getting the last wild card spot. I mean, you're, the Orioles, you supposedly spent all this time losing all these games to amass all this talent so you could go out and try to win the World Series. Your plan miraculously comes to fruition, and you're like, well, no, 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 we, wanna, we don't want to sell any of these guys yet. Because why? You've got yeah, yourself. You're in the position you're trying to get in. Right. You know, it's like, well, but we could be even better next year. It's like your World Series window just opened, and it's going to close a lot faster than you think. Even if you yes. hang on to all these guys. So you might yes. as well try to win it. I mean, I know they have like a, they seem to have this never-ending supply of freak, blonde, curly-haired athletes that they yeah. just call oh. one up with a, some oh, weird name. Sense. Yes. Yes. And they all can play. But at some point, you'd be shocked to know that A, you can't play them all because you only have nine spots. And B, uh, it doesn't extend your, it doesn't extend your window. Matt Holiday can have only so many kids. That's right. Now, the one um, bullpen guy they did acquire was, and they did it early, was the great uh, Shintaro uh, Fujinami. That was... With his 7 ERA with the A's. But he did. He was much better for the uh, Orioles. Had a 4 ERA. <laughs> he got some big outs for him down yeah. the stretch. And but... Actually, I was just looking. His, his batting average against with the Orioles went down to 197. So, right. clearly, he was... 485 ERA. Of course, reliever ERAs are, you know, mostly pointless. Yeah, very misleading. But, and uh, tr- the uh, John Angelos has just recently come out and said, well, you know, and if we're going to keep all these guys, like, 
Rutschman and and uh, so forth. You know, it's going to come out of the pockets of the fans. He actually came out and said that. You know, they're going to have to pay to keep these guys around. Yeah. So even well, he basically said that there's no way they can keep them all. Right here, there. Most of these yeah, guys have have five or six years of control left, and their managing partner, whatever his phony title is, dad, daddy bought the team, um, yes. is already bracing the fans for the fact that well, some of these guys are just going to leave. It's like maybe worry about that in like four years. How about you right. actually enjoy this? Or how about this? You can look at what the Braves did. And you can start signing these guys early, and it'll cost you a lot less. I don't have, so I don't, I don't therefore, at least, I mean, you know, if, if we're going to worry about not having, not being able to extend these contracts, then go for it a little more here. One year in first place. Yeah. It's just, it was just incredible malpractice by the front office. And I assume most of the blame goes to ownership, but I don't know. I mean, and you would, you would think that the, talked them out of it. You would think the Reds would have also kicked, be kicking themselves today because they did, yeah. they did nothing to, to they had this. All of a sudden, their lineup was this dynamic, young, really they scored a lot of runs, and their pitching was either hurt or bad. Right. And at the deadline, they knew that, and they could have easily added some arms, and they just didn't do it. And then when they got to play waiver roulette, they didn't get any of the pitchers. They ended right. up with uh, Hunter Renfro and Harrison Bader. Renfro, right. who they DFA'd, and Bader, who got hurt. But it was like the last thing they needed was two more outfielders. Right, more outfielders. I mean, yeah, it, it helped them against left-handed pitching or whatever, but they and, – and I guess MLB has the very strange – maybe we talked about this too the, – the waiver rules where it's not like fantasy baseball yeah. where you get a guy and then you have to wait yep. on the next guy. You can claim, you know, 15 guys if you want, if you want to make the roster space, and you get them all in a lump. Maybe they should change that, but – Well, I think they – I definitely think they should because this came about from a team from the Angels decide we're going to go for it and then having it right. collapse so suddenly that they're like, ooh, if we can offload these guys, we can get under the competitive balance tax. This is not the last time this is going to happen. Right. So you're going to end up with a flooded, an artificially flooded waiver thing again. And they had to push them all out at once. Because they were trying to hit a deadline, there basically was a deadline where they needed them off the payroll by a certain point, or they were gonna. Right. You know, it wasn't gonna. They weren't gonna save enough, so they threw them all out at once. And I don't know how much money this is gonna save them either. I don't know. Well, I just know the calculation was if every one of those guys had gotten claimed, they would then have ended up under the CBT threshold. That was well, why this they is an organization. Waived, that was why they waived who they waived at the at, on the day they waived them because it was their last chance, and then right. they didn't all get claimed. I forget who didn't, and so they ended up not being able to get under, which serves them right. They didn't get under it uh, because didn't yeah. Oh yeah, Randall Grichik. And, and this is a team where uh, I, I forget what the anniversary was for. If it was 2002 or 1982 or whatever it is, um, some anniversary of a celebrating a great team, and they they made all the players uh, pay their way to town <laughs> for it. They invited them for a celebration, and they're like, "Well, you have to pay for your own airfare and hotel." Well, I mean, that's the kind of level of 
money Artie Moreno is trying to save. So I guess I can see where uh, payroll tax would bother him. So is he not selling now? That was the last word. They decided not to sell. Yes. Um, That they would. uh, And speculation wasn't the time they were waiting for uh, expansion fees to kick Mm. in and all the, the payments that the existing teams get for that. Yeah, because I'm sure Artie is just simply selling the Angels, which are worth, what, like five or six times what he paid for them. Like, that won't be enough of return on investment. Artie needs, like, the $30 million expansion fee on top of the $2.5 billion he's going to get for selling a team in L.A. So good job, Artie. Better hang on for that. He's like, hey, you going to turn down $30 million? Like, if I could get $2 billion, yes. I would. I would I would go now. I wouldn't wait for the last 30. Yeah, if I could not have the aggravation anymore of being the idiot in charge. Um, so I was surprised. You know, I, I, my late night team is the Giants. Yeah. They were a rough watch, mostly because they ran out of starting pitchers in, like, June – and they already were set up as this. Every position had a platoon, and then half the platoon guys, Mitch Hanniger would come off the DL and immediate or IL and immediately break a bone and go right back on it. Right. And everything was all jacked up. But on uh, Wednesday of last week, the word got out that uh, uh, they're in the last year. They're coming up on the last year of their contract. But Farhan and uh, Gabe are coming back. Bringing back Farhan Zaidi, the president, and Gabe, the manager. And I thought, well, that makes sense, especially since um, you can't really change. You can't change one or the other. You'd have to change both. Because if you only fire, say, Gabe, and then you have the president, and he tries to hire a manager, the manager's going to be like, well, you only have a contract for a year. So I'm going to have a longer contract than you, and you get fired, then I'm going to get fired, because the new guy's going to bring a guy in. And I'm thinking, well, and they they obviously want to be one of the teams that throws huge amounts of money at Shohei. So I'm like, well, right. of course. Or Cody Bellinger. That's it's already everybody knows that's their fallback if they don't get Shohei. Yeah. And then on Friday they fired Gabe. And they didn't <laughs> extend the other thing you could have done was to have extended Farhan then. And basically said, Okay, we're picking one over the other and we're gonna give him three more years so it lines up with whoever he hires as a manager. So now they're gonna hire a manager and then they're gonna go out on these free agent visits. And the guys are going to be like, all right, well, I know you're going to get, be getting paid for the next four years, but you could be out of here in like six months. Yeah. Um, well, I've heard some of the names that, that they've been talking about for manager, and it's all guys like in their organization. Well, it's going to manage. It would almost have to be now, though. Yeah. Because who are you going to go out to get? Yeah, I like. I'm sure they they probably would love to have Bob Melvin, but if is he going to want to do that? That is, that's exactly who they – I mean, that, well, I don't know if that's who they wanted. That was the immediate rumor was that um, the Padres were going to fire Bob. He was going to take the blame for going 82 and 80. And then he's a former Giant, and he has other ties to the organization, and they would just bring him in. And it's like, all right, well, he's, he's already lived through the penny-pinching shit with the A's. He's already had the dysfunction of the Padres, and he get kind of a nice combo – when he comes to the Giants right now. <laughs> I don't think he's going to think that's all that attractive. 
So basically what it sounds like to me, like, as, a, as a Cub fan, to me that eliminates one of the primary, like if assuming the Cubs are serious about bringing Cody back, this is good news for them because I think yeah. they're a far less attractive destination for Cody than he than they otherwise would have been because there's this weird, there's this unforced error of, inser- of uncertainty there now where you're like, I don't want to deal with that. I mean, if, if there's four teams with... Um, barrel wheelbarrows full of cash and one of them's a giants i'll just look at the other three so right um yeah and we haven't talked since shohei um had his mysterious surgery the was it tommy john or was it not tommy john was it a full time john place, was it was it a partial tommy john uh, all we know is that he they they say he will be fully ready to hit by spring training and he'll be able yeah. to pitch in 2025. And there was immediate, I think, speculation when he got hurt and they had to shut him down and, and it became clear he was going to need some kind of surgery, that this was drastically going to cut into his value. He was the guy that was going to sign a 10-year, five or $600 million contract. Um, and then Ken Rosenthal was basically like, no, he's still going to sign the 10-year, five or $600 million contract. Mm-hmm. So do you believe that it's actually costing him any cash? I think in the end, no, I don't think it will. Um, you know, Maybe they'll, it'll change how the contract is structured a little bit, but in, in the overall scheme of things, I think teams will be, you know, maybe, maybe he won't be a pitcher next season, but, um, you know, in the, Maybe it depends on how long the contract is. I mean, I, I suppose maybe he'd be interested in a shorter contract so he could be a free agent again in a few years. I don't know. But I, I don't know how much longer he can expect to be a great player on both ends yeah. just because of the, the wear and tear that it, it causes. Um, so that's one thing. But I, I also get the feeling like he that's his thing. I mean, he's he wants to prove that he can be a great player for a number of years on both ends. I mean, he's got an opportunity to do it, so why not? I don't think he is of a mind that he's going to become a, a hitter only uh, anytime soon. So, um, you know, I think he can uh, still count on getting at least most of the money, maybe not exactly the same way that he would have otherwise. But, yeah, I think Ken Rosenthal is probably right. He's usually right about these things. And he'll get most, if not all, of what he was going to get anyway. I yeah, I agree with all that. I and I agree with it from this standpoint. If if I was a team, I would want Shohei because he's a great player. Yeah. And if he needed, to, if I had to go ten years to get him, I would pay. I would get him for ten years. But I would. I, there's no way you can go into that ten year contract thinking he's going to be a pitcher and a hitter for you for ten years. Right. Even if he hadn't had to have caught, if he hadn't caught Tommy John disease. Um. Just the physical wear and tear of it was at some point going to, I think, force a decision. Whether it, it, but this may, in an odd way, this might delay that decision. Because he's going to have a year right. off from pitching. So maybe when he comes back in 25 and he pitches again, he's like, well, I might be able to do this for three or four more years before I finally give up. Yeah. Or if he had he pitched all the way through in two years, he might have been like, I just can't do it. You know, I, think, right. I think it was you and I, we talked about... Um, 
how there were like other players, especially other pitchers, are like amazed that he can do this at all. They're like, yes. I wake up the day after a start and I can barely get out of bed and I can't lift my arm above my head. I, I, there were like Angels pitchers talking about. We show up at the park and he's taking batting practice in the cage under the thing, like like he didn't even play yesterday. And he's out there and he right. he stole like thirty some bases. And it's like if I got on base the day after a start, I stand on the bag or maybe take, try to take a nap on the bag, and he steals second. <laughs> So maybe that actually maybe that's counter the argument. Maybe it's he's a freaking he's an alien. Right. So he will be able to do this the whole time because he can already do something nobody else can fathom doing. Um, right. I remember the old I forget who it was. I used to remember who this was. But when when Ron Darling was pitching at Yale, there was some guy talking about playing against them in the College World Series or the play or whatever it was. It was a pitcher and he was like Ron threw a shutout against us and then the next day he played right field, and he's out there playing mm-hmm. right field. He goes, I had pitched three innings in the game that he threw the shutout against us, and I'm sitting in the dugout with my elbow in a bucket of ice, and he's <laughs> playing right field. And he's like, we are, he goes, I realized right then we're not the same guy. Right. But even that's weird. So, like, um, by the 98 Cubs, um, Terry Mulholland and Rod Beck would make fun of pitchers who ice their elbows. They'd like walk through the clubhouse. These guys and these two, if you ever go back and look at the game logs, those two pitched like every day the last month. Yeah, it just did. didn't matter. They just Terry would start, take one day off, and then throw two innings out of the bullpen, take a day off, and then start again. And it was like, what the hell? And they they would make fun as like you know, ice belongs in a drink or in like a highball glass. <laughs> it does not belong strapped to your elbow. Not everybody is. That's how you learn. Not everybody's the same. Right. It is one thing you don't see anymore. Remember, there was a trend for a while. You would they'd show the dugout, and there'd be the starting pitcher after he came out of the game, and he'd have like the, he'd look like a mummy. They'd have like his arm all wrapped up yeah. on his shoulder. You never see that anymore. And I'm sure it's because they're still right. doing it, but they're in the clubhouse. They don't bother to come back to the dugout. Yeah. But uh, that was like a staple. I mean, hell, I'm surprised they didn't do that to Kerry Wood like in between innings. <laughs> Carry, let's put the ice on. I got, it's, it's, there's two outs. Don't don't worry about it. We'll just we'll get you quick ice. You'll be fine. <laughs> um, do you have any? Do you have uh, any thoughts on the uh, who should win the National League Most Valuable Player? It's a it was a yeah. great year at the top at the top of the National League players. It is really close. I think the uh, the fact that the wars don't account much or at all for the stolen bases. You know, I would like to see, like, exactly how much all the stolen bases helped the Braves. Yeah. Um, I haven't really. Maybe someone's written that, but um, you know, I would I would say you know Acuna is. If I had a vote and I don't, you know, he would get it, and then probably uh, Mookie, and then maybe Freddie. I don't know. Uh, it would be close in my head, but that's the order. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a crazy year for those for those three. As people were pointing out, that the truly impressive thing about Acuna stealing seventy bases with forty home runs is that was forty times on base that he couldn't steal a base because he touched all of that's them. True. 
Right. Like, that's why it's so rare, because you can only get on so many times in a season, and 40 times, he just slowly trotted around all the bases. So he couldn't stop at right. one to steal the next one. Um, and then Freddie is the first first baseman ever to be 20-20, much less, you know, anything else. And then Mookie, I guess, for me, if you're going to go with the, the literal, it, it depends on what valuable means to you. Because... It's why we t- we had this argument. Well, you didn't have argument. We we agreed last year that and Shohei's going to win it this year, even though he didn't finish the seed. Shohei should win the MVP every year because he's clearly the most valuable player. He's one of the best pitchers, and he's the and this year he was the best hitter in the American League. So he should win it every year. Then you get Mookie, who's they're like, okay, we don't have a we don't have a second baseman. Mookie, can you come play second base? And then for a while, it's like we don't have a shortstop. Mookie, do you want to go play shortstop? And he just does. And he's amazing. He at it. Like he played the first, the first ground ball he took this year at shortstop was the first one he'd ever taken in the big leagues. It was against the Cubs, and he made a great play. And it's like, well, of course yeah. he did. He's Mookie Betts. Right. I mean, if part of the game was okay, we're going to pause, and now you have to bowl a perfect game. Mookie, be like, well, I can do that. I've done it nine times. I can do it again. So, yeah, I mean, I think. I think Freddie's probably – it's a great year, but with those other two, I think he's a distant third. Yeah. And then it's you can just flip a coin between – Acuna had just a ridiculous offensive season, and then Mookie had a, had his best offensive season ever and a career full of them and basically just played whatever position Dave Roberts said, Mookie, we don't have one of these today. Go play it. Okay. Why not? The Mookie Betts thing, to me, will uh, – I just, I, the Red Sox trading him for any reason is still one of the dumbest things that's ever happened in baseball history. Some people have tried to, uh, in retrospect, defend, half defend, that, well, if they had traded him for the right guys, it wouldn't be so bad. And maybe it wouldn't seem so bad. If they had traded him for Ronald Acuna Jr., is that what they mean? Because then it, well, been, then it wouldn't have been so bad. But it's hard to put a package together that's, that right. still makes it make sense. Right. Because the thing was, he it was not like he was – he didn't have one foot out the door. It's, you know, sometimes a player gets to a point where they basically tell the front office, I'm not, I'm not signing. Right. You know, he wanted more money than they were offering, but it didn't sound like his demands were so ridiculous that they traded him because that was Bloom, right? He was That was like his first big move. Yeah. Was basically like he, the old Larry Himes. Well, we can with Greg Maddox. Well, we could we could spend this money better than on one guy, and then of course you can't, because when the one guy That's, is a Hall yeah. of Famer, you just pay that guy. That's not where you save money. You no. save money with that next tier of guys yeah. who aren't that great, you know. And you don't spend on them, but you spend on the greatest players yes. if you can. And that's and uh, you're right having. Mookie around, he's uh, worth a little bit of the extra juice just to, to put him anywhere and the things that he can do that other players can't. It's uh, it's not like, I don't know, it, the, the Red Sox treated him like he was J.D. Martinez or, I don't know, even Devers, a player who's like on a, on a lower level. Yeah. It's, it's almost as good superficially in some ways, maybe with home runs and RBIs or what. It was a really forest for the trees kind of a mistake. It's funny the the parallel that I immediately think of when I think of him and Maddox, which I only make because of the basically the oh we could spend that money better somewhere else. Is in both instances, 
he went to a team that didn't need him. Right. But was smart enough to be like, you know what we do need? We need as many great players as possible. You know, the Braves didn't, on paper, they didn't need another pitcher. But they're like, no, they you know how much better this will make us? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, we're good, but we can get better. So why would we say no? And the Dodgers were the same thing. People are like, oh, your offense is great. It's like, well, you know how it would be even better? We had Mookie Betts in it. You know, if the Dodgers did, I mean, the Dodgers won 100 games, but they had so many things wrong with them this year that if they hadn't added Mookie Betts and they had another player, let's say, who was like Max Muncy or something, they wouldn't be nearly as dangerous. You know, nope. uh, it's – it's uh. And that's kind of what the Cubs did when they got Jose Guzman, Jose Guzman, mm-hmm. and some other people instead of Matt. Yeah, they got Candy Maldonado, though. I mean, come on. That worked out great. He caught a fly ball once, I think. You know what a catch-22 is? Huh? It's what happens Sorry. when you hit 50 balls to Candy Maldonado. <laughs> I've used that joke a thousand times with a thousand different people. Unkind. Yes. Um, well, and to bring it around to the the bulk of the people who listen to this podcast it's a fear that we all share about now Cody Bellinger is a really good player he's not nearly I mean he's just not on the level with Mookie and Ronald Acuna Jr. he's not but it's one of those things where if the Cubs talk themselves into the facts they're like you know what we can if we lose Cody we we can play this guy here we can play that guy there we can do whatever on a small on on a slightly lower level they're making the same decision because you win, the Cubs should know this, right? They won the World Series. It was It's getting longer and longer ago, but it's still only seven years ago. You win a World Series with stars, and they don't have any. He's the closest thing they have to one. And so instead of just letting him go and trying to find somebody who's almost as good, you keep him, and you keep trying to add to the other part of the roster. It, your whole goal should not be trying to replace Cody Bellinger. It should be keep Cody and then we replace some other bum. So now we've got Cody and this other guy and hopefully Saya is actually going to hit now for the rest of the time with the Cubs and whatever. Um, it's just one of those things where if they if they let him go then they they go into next season worse than they finish this season. Maybe the, the end of the year numbers will show them but you, you can't Dansby was was a very good acquisition. I was afraid maybe he was going to be Jeff Blauser part two. But he was very good, and he does a lot of things well. But you can't have him be your best player. No. That's not good enough. No. He – I was skeptical of it too because um, I – in my big brain, you know, everyone should listen to everything I say. He was clearly <laughs> – I thought he was the fourth best of the four shortstops. Clearly the rest of the league did too. He got the least amount of money. Still got a lot of money. But he got the least amount. Right. And I will admit, I completely undervalued his defense. Like he true, he really is a great defensive shortstop. And I'm sure we talked about this. One of the things I looked at when you looked at the numbers, you know, this is a terrible way to 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 judge a shortstop's arm. But if you looked at the at baseball savant, his miles per hour on his throws was like shockingly low. And you're right. like, holy crap, he doesn't have a good arm. But then all you have to do is watch him play. And one of the fun things about watching Dansby play is that he somehow has this ability. He knows exactly how hard to throw the ball to beat the runner by a step. Yes. If if he has to really throw it hard, he does. And if he doesn't have to, he will throw it so slowly, like, oh, my God, the guy's going to beat it. And he always beats the guy by a step. He's just right. He just knows how to do that. Um, 
he the, but you can also see how he was the you know the Braves had they kept everybody and they didn't keep him now they also didn't keep Freddie Freeman but they immediately like even before they'd lost Freddie they added Matt Olson like they right. they hedged that bet if the Olson thing right. hadn't happened they'd have thrown more money at Freddie it's not like they gave him away um because as good as Dansby is, and he's a good player, he's the he was their seventh or eighth best player. And you're right, he came out of the Cubs, and at worst, he's their third best player, probably their second. Right. And he, you have to make moves to p- push him down the pecking order. Right. You know, you have to keep raising the bar. Where Dansby's a good player, he's going to play shortstop for you for six more years. That's fine. But you have to put better and better players in that lineup with him, and he has to keep scooting in the opposite direction. And then. It's exacerbated this year by the fact that he hurt his heel against the Brewers um, in a game, went on the injured list, and when he came back, he didn't hit for shit the whole rest of the year. And I'm sure yeah. that that I'm sure it's not a coincidence that he came off the injured list. And it also it probably didn't help that this is a literal stat because I looked it up until the last day of the season when he sat out yesterday. From the day he came back from the injured list, which was in July. He played all but six innings. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all right, you got a guy with a bum foot. Maybe give him a day off once in a while. Because you know what? Your second baseman is a gold glove caliber shortstop. He can go do that. And you can DH Dansby. You don't even have to take his bat out. I mean, that was the thing we, we railed about on the, another podcast was if the Cubs really did get tired, right? Like the players got physically worn down by the end of the year. Their DH is Christopher Morell. He's their super utility player. You, They could literally have kept the same lineup every day and rested a player every day by just having them DH and Morell play their spot that day. You know, say I can DH and Morell plays right. Whoever's in center, like the great Mike Talkman, can, he can he can DH that day and Morell will play center. Um, and they, they just didn't do it. Like those position players just played every single day. And I don't know if they really got tired or not, but it, it was not an effective use of... He basically, the best athlete on your team, hardly ever played in the field. He always did. Mm-hmm. And if their argument is, well, you know, he doesn't, he's not really any good at any of these positions, it's like, well, what, he, he's been in your minor league system for eight years. Couldn't you have found a spot for him and just taught it to him? They, taught, they supposedly taught Nick Madrigal how to play third base in like two months in the offseason. I got news for you. Chris Morrell's a much better athlete than Nick Madrigal. Just... Whatever those whatever those uh, Tom Amansky tapes that you gave Nick, give a set to Christopher Morell and have him watch him this offseason. And maybe that'll fill a spot for you. All right. Well, we began and ended with me ranting about the Cubs, which is which is good. Um, I was going to have you tell tell us who's going to win the World Series, but I think I would rather just have you back on later in the playoffs, and then we don't have to oh, play. guess we can just talk about it. And the uh, my guess won't be as uh, outlandish because some of the other the teams have been eliminated, and I won't pick the wrong team for sure. Right, it's going to be because it'll be the Marlins because when they make the playoffs, <laughs> they win the World Series. Actually, they ruined that, didn't they? And in, in the they did, but st- I guess they could cling to this. In a full season, every time they made the playoffs, they won the World Series. At least until this point. Yeah. All right. Okay. Enjoy the baseball, and thanks, Dave. You're welcome, Andy. Many of us have herpes.